All right, it's the uh, Chance of Gaming Podcast. This is episode 117. Been with you now for about 17-ish episodes, about 20 episodes, and, you know, hey, I'm just glad you're, you know, you're listening. Thank you for listening. And uh, I'm Adam, and with me always is Richard and Roy. Good evening, Adam and Roy, and everyone Hello, else, Richard. all the listeners. So, what's oh, the... Uh, oh, yeah, go oh. ahead. <laughs> Okay, so uh, hello from West Michigan, from Holland, Michigan. Uh, I'm Roy, and uh, yeah, it's it's finally cool here. Yeah, it is absolutely amazing here. I spent all weekend. Uh, I'm from St. Louis. This is Rich. Uh, I spent all weekend actually at a lake on the other side of Missouri. Um, we rented a little cabin there and had a nice little mini vacation. The weather was just perfect, and the weather is perfect now. So I'm glad that fall is finally here. At the uh, what the Lake of the Ozarks? Uh, no, it's actually Lake Stockton, which is a little okay. south of Lake of the Ozarks. Ah, okay. So, all right, yeah. At this time of year, Roy, you're probably under what twenty, thirty feet of snow. <laughs> uh, no, that's uh, that's much farther north of me. Yeah, but it's I am in fact north of the wall. So. Okay. Yeah, that it doesn't get much further south than where I am. So yeah. <laughs> Although it's it's been it's been cool. It's been nice. It's been in the sixties for like this past week, but. The Mississippi fall is like you wake up in the morning and it's 50 degrees and it's 95 by noon. And then it drops back down to about 60 after the sun goes down. It's really weird. Ah. Yeah. And see, what, I, uh, what, what other tabletop podcast will you get weather talk at? Come on. This is why you listen <laughs> to us. Weather. You know it. Uh, so, uh, we always try to start out our little podcast with like, what are you playing lately? And I've uh, I've got some things on there, and we'll we'll talk about them, and we'll see what you think. Uh, the first two things, um, I actually had a what I called second breakfast club. Well, I totally stole that from a uh, friend of mine shop on the coast, but uh, I got my local wargaming group together for breakfast, and it went off. Really? Yeah, I did. It went pretty well. Normally, I don't get up that early, but I made myself get up that early and it, we we met at nine to give the guy that owns the shop like an hour before he has to go open and we were there from like nine to like eleven thirty, just kind of hanging out and talking this on a saturday or sunday or something though? On, a, on a saturday okay i guess and, that makes sense and i brought like a bunch of rule books you know and i was like well you know this is you know i have all these rule books that i just buy and read or sometimes i don't even do that sometimes i just buy them and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I've got two painted armies for that rule set, and I've got three for that one, and, you know, and so, yeah. So it went over that, and um, it went pretty well. We're going to start doing it once a month. thought it was fun. And uh, we, the two main things that are going really good at my, um, my shop is uh, Flames of War is still just flying off the shelves, which is interesting to me because, I mean, it's, it's all these, like, Dudes that normally play Games Workshop games are, are getting buying into this historical game, and you know, and you know, I know the controversy and the debate and whatnot, but still, this is a really good jumping-off point. You don't know that, you know, that one of these kids is going to play it and like, you know, this is good, but I really want something more complex, and they just keep going until they keep going, and ten years down the road, they're playing ASL. You never know; it could happen. Now, Adam. You said in our last episode that uh, you are the only your store is the only uh, store around there that carries Flames of War. Is that correct? 
In Mississippi, yes. Okay. As far as I know. Now, they tried to say, like, well, we're the only one in the southeast. And I'm like, no, 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 because I know there's one in Huntsville, Alabama that does. And there's one, uh, my friend Mike Bobe has Bobe's Hobby House in Pensacola. And mm-hmm. they, they carry it. And um, Okay. Can, and as far as I know, you can only get uh, Battlefront stuff direct from Battlefront. So... You know, it's you can't get it from a distributor because that was a point. The the problem about six months ago, I tried to get my local shop to carry it, and they're like, we can't get it from our distributor. So and then yeah, they got a call from Battlefront directly, and they just went from there. So mm-hmm. so, so so that's it would make sense that that's kind of your store then is kind of a uh, uh, a hub for people around the area that would have an interest in Flames of War. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a big store and it's getting even bigger. They have like a zillion kids playing Magic in there every week, and they probably have thirty guys doing Age of Sigmar forty k, and so mm-hmm. they just they're pulling out of that pool to to do Flames of War. I I would say right now we probably got about ten guys that are doing it. So yeah, and it's just it's growing every week. So with Flames of War, do you get a certain number of points and you build your own army based on what you have and what you want to play? Yes. Is it yes. that kind of game? Okay. Yeah, it is. It's point-based. And that kind of turns off a lot of historical guys and, you know, blah, 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 whatever. But, yeah, it's it's just a good jumping-off point. I think my main reason why I like it so much is it's 15 millimeter and it plays on a 4 by 6 table. So you can actually move around and, you know, try for some strategy and stuff like that. It's certainly not game over turn two that kind of thing. I just, I feel like the scale fits that better. So is there any attempt to recreate historical battles or is it just, you know, uh, playing with tanks and infantry and well, you can the terrain as you set it up. You can, you know, okay. if, if you want to. But the reality is it's a one-to-one scale game. So technically, like what you're playing is, you know, a small part of maybe a historical battle that happened or something like that. So Sure. So, But honestly, it was basically they looked at the uh, Games Workshop way of doing things, and they were like, you know what, we could do this, and we could do this in for 15 millimeter World War II, and it just took off from there. Hmm. I actually want to interview the guy uh, now that it's kind of taken off uh, in my in my area. Uh, interview the um, the the dude that runs them now, and the guy that started that wrote the first rule book and all that. They're pretty active on Facebook, and I will say it is interesting for those of us that are just now getting into it. The move from Flames of War version 3 to version 4 was just as controversial as moving uh, from Warhammer Fantasy to Age of Sigmar. It, it was a huge deal that angered a lot of people and, you know, all this stuff. So, <laughs> I just kind of like to talk to him about that. And uh, the other thing is there's an older guy I play with and um, in the shop, and he's really been pushing Saga lately which is this dark age skirmish game uh from this french company called studio tomahawk and uh it's it's he has a bunch of figures for it anyway and he heard about the um the rule set and he picked it up and he really likes it so he's been like really excited to try to get this off the ground i may try to get in a game sunday i played it in the first edition 
and liked it, and this is second edition, and I haven't played it. I've got my figures assembled, but not painted. So, you know, there you go. It, interestingly enough, I kind of just wanted to throw this in here and mention it because he has, like, this rule when it comes to historicals. He doesn't want to play anything where the people that participated in that particular war are still alive. So, that, okay. it, yeah, I just thought that was, you know, just kind of different. And I guess I understand that, you know, it's like you don't want a war game World War Two because, you know, these guys are still walking around and, and whatnot. So, I mean, I, I completely understand that. But, um, yeah, it was just something different. I don't I don't hear that very common when it comes to uh, historical gaming. So, yeah. It's interesting you bring all these up, these games like uh, the last two you just mentioned, because I don't see any of this all at all in St. Louis. In St. Louis, we've got some Star Wars, we've got Warhammer. That's pretty much it. I hardly ever see. Um, sometimes I see bolt action every now and then, um, but most of these games that you're talking about, like Saga, look fascinating to me, and I've never seen them at all. Yeah, like the main reason why for saga is it's it's a european game so you have to find someone who who you know imported the rule book like you did yeah and you know just from there now i do know like in the past um like i mean a couple years ago uh miniature market was doing flames of war tournaments but um i think 2016 was uh, the last one i saw uh yeah so, and I've seen Flames of War on the shelf there. I've just never seen it played. I mean, it may have that move from third to fourth just killed it. Yeah. It apparently that happened in a lot of places. It just people were so angry that were like, eh, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing it. So. Wonder if anyone plays this on Tabletop Simulator. I don't know. It's worth looking at. Yeah. I need, to, I need to fire that up some point. <laughs> um. The other thing is, uh, I'm going to Board Game Geek Con in. Dallas, Texas, next month, in about a month from now, I'll be there, and uh, I've fired up the uh, the uh, virtual flea market, and I've got a bunch of crap listed there that you need to buy, if you want to take a look at that and buy some stuff, and um, I it, so much of this is new to me, it reminds me of like the first time I went to Gen Con, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing, what I'm supposed to be doing, you know. I did find one guy to play a game of ASL with. And, nice. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to do that. And then I found where there's like a um, a beer swap thing where the guy hosts it in his hotel room. And like you bring in like whatever you're bringing. Like, Something gonna, local. Yeah, I'll bring Mississippi yeah. beers is what I'll bring. And uh, you can swap it out or taste or you know whatever from there. So I'm going to try to do that. There's also a coffee one. And a scotch one. So, yeah. It's, mm. it's, it's neat to me. And I, I like three of those things. Well, all four <laughs> of you talk about games, too. So, <laughs> And um, I'm also trying to... I want to work. I, I really want to work the con. To, for you, the guy listening to this. I'm working for you. Um, so, I, I'm trying to find, like, interviews uh, that I can do. I've already heard back from, like, Decision Games... Lock and Load Publishing, and uh, the guys that created, wrote the rule book for Silent Death. And um, so I'm going to try and interview all them, and I'm still gathering people. The weird thing is, it's like just finding out who's going to be there. 
because a lot of times people are are just attending as just a gamer. They're not a guest. But it could be, you know, Richard Borg is there, and he's just hanging out, you know, pretending to be Richard Berg. I don't know. But um, <laughs> uh, there's there's a lot of that happening. And so I'm trying to just figure out who's going to be there and whatnot. And, yeah, and so I'm, I'm planning on working and recording a lot of stuff. I don't know how I'm going to uh, give it to you guys. Obviously, I'm, we're not going to have a podcast where I have, like, you know, an extra 16 hours worth of interviews on it. No, that's not going to happen. But um, if I can rig it right and actually bring my laptop with me, I could conceivably, like, go back to the hotel, edit, and upload them just as they, you know, every other day or something like that. Because it's like four or five days we'll be there. I think it's like Wednesday. We'll arrive on Wednesday and leave on Sunday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah, that's five days. And, uh, yeah, right before Thanksgiving. So I'll be going to see my in-laws as soon as I get back. How big is BGG Con compared to some of the others? Don't know. This is my first time going. Okay. And I know it was, like, super limited. They, like, sold out in, like, two days. And I, if I remember correctly, the actual ticket for it was, like, it was like 150 bucks or something like that. It was expensive uh, the way I looked at it. So, mm-hmm. We'll have to see. And, uh, yeah, I, if you want to kind of run in, I'll have stuff to give away if people run into me, too. I'll have stickers and magnets and stuff. So, yeah, if you want to try and track me down. Yeah, find me like Waldo. That would be cool. And, uh, yeah, go from there. And what would be the means by which somebody would uh, recognize you? I don't know. I could take a picture of myself and, like, you know, when okay. I'm there, like, this is what I'm wearing today in case I go missing. You think I've got a chance at gaming shirt, right? Yeah, I do have a chance to gaming shirt and stuff like that. So there you go. Wear it all five days. Yeah, all five days. I won't wash it. It'll be, <laughs> it'll be awesome. Uh, so yeah, because the other thing I had on here, I just thought I was going to toss this on here and see what you guys thought. Um, I kind of ran into this issue uh, recently at my my local shop with a friend of mine complaining about some players about not reading their rule book. And I really feel like somebody, you know, somebody that has more than our 500 and some odd followers, you know, maybe Will Wheaton, somebody should do, start, do a read your rule book PSA. Oh, he listens to us, so we can just tell him directly. (laughs) Absolutely. No, I'll just text him and, you know, he'll he'll have that. All right. Oh, I'll text Patrick Stewart to tell him because, you know, <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yeah, it, it, they should do some. Somebody should do like a PSA for Read Your Rule Book. It's like, you know, hi, I'm, you know, Troy, whatever from, you may know me from whatever. And I think, I just wanted you to let you know about the evils of not reading your rule book. <laughs> and because it reminded me a hundred years ago when I was going to uh, 40K tournaments back in third edition, I went to one. Uh, on the coast of Mississippi and nobody at that shop owned a rule book. It was like my group coming in, there were like four or five of us brought in rule books and we we were able to argue our point for rules because we had them like, where's your rule book? I don't have one. So a, a lot of times you can get this problem where somebody teaches you how to play this game and all you ever do is play that guy or somebody else he's taught so you never read the rules. You just know what you've been taught. And so you have this whole thing where your entire shop may uh, be doing the smoke rules wrong or something like that. So 
It so when happens. you guys pick up a new game, what is the first thing you do? Do you read your old book first? I do mm-hmm. b- because I'm ma- I'm mailing off my figures to get painted. So you know, see I need what to do. what I like to do. I like to go to YouTube and see if I can find any actual play of the game, and I will watch the game being played, even if just for a few minutes. And then when I dive into the rule book, it has some context and makes more sense because there are some really bad rule books out there. Um, and sometimes you read the rule book and it just frustrates you. But if you can watch the game being played, then the rule book makes more sense. Now I've heard that 40 K is like that, that like you can't reading it out of the, out of the rule book. Like it's, it's just a jumble of, of different little line items. And, uh, you're really, it's better learned at the hands of somebody else. A, a lot of them are like that. It, it can be. And I've, I've just noticed like, especially younger gamers, they are way too reliant on, hey, can you teach me how to play this? You know, it's mm-hmm. like I may have half-assed read the rule book, or or I read it and I didn't get it, and so instead of going online and you know trying to fi- figure out stuff, it's yeah, it's you rely on the guy you're playing, and it just doesn't work. I, and I know my problem is I'm 42 years old and I've been playing for a long time. I've been playing through multiple editions. My problem is I get confused with like, oh, I start playing it this way. And um, like, oh, wait, no, 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 that was two editions ago. They changed it. You you can no longer do that. So, it's like uh, D&D in third edition to fifth edition. Fifth edition doesn't have the five-foot step in it, but third edition does. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah so. exactly. ASL starter kit's the same way. If you're playing starter kit and you start thinking of rules that are not in the starter kit version, you oh wait, no, that's not in starter kit. We don't need to play that way. Or yep. yeah. And if you if you play by the old rule set and uh, you can really hose yourself like, well, I was thinking I could do this and then I'm gonna move away and all of a sudden I got smacked in the face with a battle axe. That's not gonna work. <laughs> Yep. I mean, that's that's me completely is like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this. I I plan my whole move around this. And then it's like, oh, wait, it doesn't work the way you think it did. Yep. And then Uh, you're cranky. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Like, damn it. Been there. Yeah. And of course, you know, um, with Flames of War, I mainly played second edition. So I, you know, I'm asking all these questions. Well, you know, you could probably do this. And they're like, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. So (laughs) you, you, yeah, it. Smoke does. I learned today, like, smoke is different than I thought it does. So, yeah. I'm I've, just going to make shit up. Just do whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I've got to. I'm going to break out my rule book and practice what I preach and, and read it before I play my first game, which will hopefully be soon because my painter finally picked it up. And, yeah, hopefully in a week or two, I'll be good to go. Anyway, speaking of rule books, uh, I've got a copy of Black Powder 2. Uh, given to me graciously by Warlord Games to give away, and uh, yeah, drop us a line at chanceofgaming at gmail.com and to enter that. I really need like one or two more people to make it kind of really fair for me to do a random draw thing, so everybody so, gets something. So the qualifications for the giveaway are you need to email, is that correct? Yes, email me at chanceofgaming at gmail.com or you can just direct message me on Twitter, which is Chance of Gaming, all one word, at, at you know at Twitter. And yeah, man, either one of those, we'll work it out. I'm just getting your address, and I'll send you something. 
stickers, uh, dice bags, uh, magnets, or a copy of Black Powder 2. So there you go. So if somebody wanted to learn more about Black Powder 2, uh, how would they go about doing that? Warlordgames.com? Yes, I do believe that is it. I'm going to check that right now. Warlordgames.com. And, uh, yeah, you choose your currency to be pounds or uh, dollars, and you just click on it, and there you go. It pops up. So, uh, listeners... Yes. Oh, go ahead. If listeners want to learn more about Black Powder 2, that's where they go then, right? Yep. Okay. And Warlord Games has... A lot of different rule sets for lots of different eras as well. I don't know how much different they are, um, but I do know they have lots of variety in their, their rule sets. They're, as far as the historical eras of the games. Yep. Hail Caesar, Pike and Shot. They do Black Powder. They do Bolt Action. They have a science fiction game uh, called Beyond the Gates of Antares. And uh, yeah, and a bunch more. So there you go. So moving on to uh what rich was playing yeah so i think i mentioned last uh time but i did get to play here i stand last saturday um and that is it's a big you know uh, really an eight hour game if you're eight maybe eight maybe even more if you're playing with a full six people um we had some people drop out one of them got sick and one of them couldn't make it so we ended up playing with only three players um which was fun but very difficult because um, if you haven't played here, I stand it's um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a deep strategy game. There's a lot going on, a lot of moving pieces. And if you play with three players, there are still six uh, powers in the game. They call them. It's, it's the Ottoman empire, the Habsburg empire, France, England, the papacy, and the Protestants. But if you only play with three players, then each player has to play two. I ended up playing the Protestants and England. And it's just, honestly, with only three players, it's still a lot of fun, but it's it's just too much. You can't, you can't really concentrate on what your empire is trying to do. So, great game for six players. Um, for three players, still fun, but I if we had three players again, I'd probably just pick up something else and play something else instead. But here I stand is always fun. And I do have a game with six players going on on Vassal right now. Um, it's just, it just takes forever to play that way. We've been playing since uh, sometime in the spring, April, I think. And I, I think we're still in the middle of the second term. So we're basically paying out the, uh, the Protestant reformation in real time at this point. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So here I stand. Did get to play that, and, and then, see that that's been on my sure. list for a while. Uh, it really has. I've almost bought it a couple of times, and that kind of long play. Eh, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm not really that interested anymore. Yeah, so. yeah, it is fun to play. Um, and, I mean, if you've got a Saturday and you've got five other people to play with it. I mean, I can't think of a game that's better. There are games that I like to play just as much as that one, but, you know, if you've got all day to play on a Saturday and you've got six people, it's great. Um, I think we're going to we're gonna follow up, maybe not next month, but maybe the month after with Virgin Queen, which is, I don't know if it's actually a sequel or just a very similar game that just takes place a little bit in the future of Here I Stand, and then we'll probably continue on from there as a part of our, we're trying to, once a month, we're trying to play something big, some, you know, all day, 8, 10, 12 hour game, so. 
And then, like I said, this weekend, I was actually – took a short mini vacation with my my middle child and my youngest daughter. Um, my, my middle is turning 18, so we sort of gave her like a weekend getaway. We all went out to a cabin. We went to the lake and everything. But we did some, take some games with us as well. Um, and we took Stuffed Fables with us because we've been playing that as a family. And we did play that again. Um have you guys? I know we've talked about this before. Have you guys played Stuffed Fables? Actually, I have it on my table right now, and we still have not made it past the first scenario. Yeah. So our problem, and we were up to maybe the fourth or fifth scenario, but we've been playing it since. I guess we got it just in August, so it's only been a couple months. But we've only played maybe every two or three weeks or so, and we keep sort of forgetting the rules. And this is interesting that Roy was just or Adam was talking about read your rule book because we read the rule book, but there were things we missed or things we had to catch up on again. So like every time we played, it was just kind of painful because we had to reteach ourselves. And then finally yep. we got to I don't know, I think it was probably like the fourth mission or something, and we realized that we had actually made a pretty major rule mistake in that we had put some cards in the deck that we weren't supposed to. And we got to like the fourth mission and said, well, if you have this card, you win. And of course we've got like 96 missions to go through. And we basically won on the fourth missions for like, you know what, let's just put this down. Let's start <laughs> over. Let's try to play it more consistently. So we actually remember the rules. So uh, we did play one time stuffed fables, but then we, just got a little frustrated because we couldn't remember how to play. So we're going to have to pick that up and play it more consistently over the winter time. And then the other game we played, so it's interesting because we all grabbed a couple games. We knew we weren't going to play them at all, but we just wanted to have some choices. And um, we had all our games sitting on a table ready to load up into the car. And my my middle child, the one whose birthday we're, we're going out for, she grabs Settlers of Catan, which I haven't played in like two years. And I looked at that and I thought, yeah, I thought, I don't want to play that game. (laughs) (laughs) I I had kind of put that game away in my mind thinking I'd never play it again. Um, And then, you know, of course, it's her birthday, so she gets to pick what we play and we pull it out. And it was so much more fun than I remember it being. We played it uh, a couple times and we're like, yeah, this is really great because even my my youngest, my nine-year-old, quickly picked up on the trading aspect of it and she really enjoyed that so so we had such a good time now we're thinking about getting one of the expansions for it and i think i was reading up a little bit i've heard that the the knights and whatever knights and cities and knights yeah kind of adds another level to it yeah i heard that that one's really good so i think we're probably going to pick that one up at some point Mm -hmm. what do you guys think of Catan? do you like it 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 occasionally makes it to our table but it's not yeah it's not a yeah, it's not a, 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 a got-to-play it kind of game. Yeah, that's kind of how we were, you know, and then a couple years ago, and we just, you know, it's a good game, but it's not a great game, and I think I just got better games and put it away for a while, mm-hmm. um, but I was I was happy to get it back out. It was a lot of fun. It, it was the starter game. I think I've mentioned yeah. it before. You yeah, know, when you, it was when you me, first, sure. When you first get away from Monopoly, Risk, Clue, it's Catan, you know. Yep, yep. Catan, never absolutely. Ticket to Ride. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's another yeah. one that we play a lot with the, the family because the nine-year-old can play it. So, yeah. I mean, I'd love to teach her ASL. I tried, but she's not into it. So, mm-hmm. All right. And so, so, yes, Roy is up. On to Champions me. Champions of Midgard. 
Champions of Midgard. So it seems like I've played this one other time. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's okay. It's, it's essentially it's a worker placement with Vikings and trolls. Um, so there's a lot of pretty artwork in it. Um, but it's a, it's a worker placement game. And so you go and you can fight the troll or go to the marketplace and uh, trade this for that. And you can also go on voyages and go out, you know, into the sea and, and you know, fight. I don't know. There's a bunch of different monsters to fight. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's it's entertaining, I guess. Distracting. Champions of Midgard. Um, and there's a bunch of expansions to it. Um, so each uh, player plays a, uh, uh, a clan leader. So, like, I played Hemming the Changer. So I played a bear. And um, I had I sent my workers out to do different things and um, collect various things. Yeah. When you played Hemming the Changer, is there anything unique about him? Do you have a special ability the other players don't have or anything? Uh, he has a little bit of a special ability that says um, he can exchange uh, goods once per turn. Okay. And then there's another special ability too that's kind of randomly added on to that. And I have in particular had the Rune Carver. Which said that I can uh, take the effect of the of the rune carver space um, without putting a, a worker there. So I mean, it's it's pretty much a, essentially a worker placement game with uh, trolls and um, a bunch of uh, Norse mythology laid over the top. So I guess my my feelings about it are kind of it's, you know it's it's interesting, but it's not really I didn't care for it that much. So you, did you Champions buy it, or where, where'd you play it? No, it was uh, at my Friday game night. Uh, oh, okay. Somebody brought it, and uh, I was—I've really been looking for a game of size, but we didn't have the time to get through that. So I highly recommend that one. <laughs> yeah, I've played it about three or four times, and I've been—and it's been quite a while, so I've been looking to play it again. Yeah, uh, my friend. And a couple of my friends and someone that I haven't met yet, but the, someone they're playing with, they're putting together uh, a Rise of Fenris group. And they invited me to play, and I said, unfortunately, I just don't have time to put in one more in right now. But mm-hmm. uh, at some point, probably later on in the winter, when time opens up, I'm definitely going to play through Rise of Fenris with them. And so then I played a game called Guildhall, which is uh, from AEG Games. And so this is uh, – you have – there's uh, what about five suits of different um, um, townsfolk. So you have the dancer, you have the farmer, the weaver, the assassin, and they all do different things. And um, so if you lay down, say, a dancer, you can draw another card and get another action. And the farmer says that you can uh, get some money, and the money is victory conditions. So you lay down... There's five different colors and five different suits of cards. And so if you can at one point lay down five of each color, like say five farmers down, then you've created a guild hall. And that is uh, uh, safe from being stolen. You can flip it over and turn that guild hall in for victory points. So the cards that you have laying in front of you don't get attached to them because people can wheel and deal and trade this for that or kill something and send it to the discard pile. Um, 
So it's it's an interesting game of um, trying to get these full sets and turn them in for victory points. Um, so Guildhall, it comes in several different uh, versions. There's one that has, it, basically, it's all the rules are the same, but it changes the name. Um, but then there's plenty of other add-on cards to it, too. So it's a it's a kind of a lightish card game of, of trick-taking and, and uh, well, maybe not trick-taking, I guess, but trading cards back and forth that you have laying down. And was this one a uh, game night, too? Yeah. Yep. And then I played Sagrada. Have I? I don't know if I've talked about Sagrada before or not. So this is a game of um, uh, stained glass windows. Just it was a Kickstarter that that uh, did pretty well. Um, so each round you have, so like let's say in a game of three, you'll have seven dice, and each person takes one die and puts it on their their little grid and tries to kind of uh, fill in the pattern. And uh, there's so there's some uh, placement rules for the dice. It says that you can't place like colors next to each other, and you can't place like numbers next to each other. Um, so you you're trying to fill in, and it's a grid of uh, six by five, so 30 dice you're you're placing over the course of the game. Um, and so there may be the pool of dice that you pull out of the bag you need a particular color and you're kind of stuck there. So maybe you need to um, use some other card to maybe swap out a color or there's a card that will let you re-roll a die. If you have, if your only placement is going to be an illegal placement, you can use the card that says, okay, I'm going to roll this die and maybe I'll get something that'll go in where I need it to go. So it's the, the dice are um, translucent and they're in a bunch of different colors. And so basically, it's a it's a, a point taking game. So at the beginning of the game, you draw cards that say, "Okay, I'm going to get points for if I have rows of all unique colors, then that's worth six points. Or if I have uh, dice that go from one through six, and each set of one through six is worth five points. And then I also have a um, a secret mission that says that the total of all of my purple dice, I get those points. So it's a game of uh, dice drafting and dice rolling and uh, filling up your, your grid with uh, with uh, dice. So it's, it's plenty colorful and everything. Yeah, I like the look of it. I think you have mentioned this as a, as a Kickstarter now that I look at it again. And, uh, yeah, it looks like it comes with a ton of colorful dice, which makes yeah. a lot of sense since you're doing mm-hmm. stained glass. <laughs> mm-hmm. and so, hey, yeah, Roy, all, yeah. have you played Azul? Yes. How does this compare to Azul? Um, it's, um, you know, we've had this conversation before. Have we? It's, yeah. um, it's very similar, I think. Okay. Yeah. Of course, somebody will probably say that's not what you said before yeah i think i think sagrada came out first i remember it was super popular and then if my memory serves me correctly when azul came out it kind of replaced sagrada Ah, i remember uh you know a lot of people comparing the two and and which one did you like better because i think you're the one who's played them both i've yeah and it's i i don't own azul and i actually prefer sagrada better um, my my feelings about Azul were like, well, this is okay, you know, the the tiles are kind of cool, but it just didn't really grab me that much. So I think I prefer Sagrada over over Azul. Okay. 
yeah, so, Azul has been on my list because it's like super duper hot, and um, yeah, I mm-hmm. never played it. Oh, so that's so, what I've been yeah. playing. All right, so uh, I guess we'll move on to what's on your radar. All right, the first thing I've got is Blessed of the Traveler, queer gender identity in Eberron, and this is from Lex Perman. Yeah. Uh, he made this, and it, it just popped up on uh, my Facebook feed, and uh, because it was free at, at the time that it popped up. I think it's now, it's like, pay what you want. And uh, I don't know, It's we're starting to see a lot of like gender identity kind of stuff and role-playing. And again, I, I think every time I kind of mention, like, well, I don't understand, like, it, it, was this an issue? You know, what, was it an actual problem? Because I always think of, like, role-playing as you can just play whatever, and there have always been dudes playing uh, girl characters and vice versa and and whatever, and, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm uh, just, I don't understand what they're going for here, but, yeah, I just... I don't know. I mean, it's just just another supplement out there. You've got, uh, you know, everyone... There are a lot of different kinds of role-playing groups out there. Um, in in any RPG that I've ever played, we haven't really dealt with sexuality at all. Um, and some people want to, and if they've got this supplement out there that allows them to, you know, have a pamphlet that gives them rules for that or whatever, that's that's fine. Well, yeah, this is more gender identity, I think, than sexuality. But okay, reading here, what this exactly is for is in the setting of Eberron. This takes a look at how different cultures and faiths in Eberron approach gender and, of course, magical transition methods. So you could actually be, if you're you're a male, you could become female or vice versa or whatever. So, yeah. Because, I mean, that that is always interesting in role-playing is versus real life. You know, if you are uh, transgender in real life... It's different than I would than I would assume, being uh, you know, role playing it in the sense that you could cast a spell or whatever, and you could turn yourself, you know, from male to female or vice versa. So yeah, it just I don't know, but it's just interesting that you're starting to see, you know, a, a good bit of this content kind of come out, and I'm I guess I'm happy that there's like no pushback or or whatever. You see some people, like I see on Facebook comment, and they're just like, oh, you know, blah, 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 or whatever, you know. But it comes down to, you know, it's, yeah, it's, you're not going to encounter this, I assume, if you don't like it. You know, I doubt your local group is going to force you to do it or anything, but yeah, it's, it's just not for you. And, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I think it's, I think I probably said the same thing. We talked about the, gender fluid elves a few months ago but i think the people that would that are going to be really upset about this probably aren't playing D anyway so <laughs> that that is very true which you know D is of the devil anyway so, yeah you know if it's not your experience then you don't need to uh you don't need to rec well i guess you do need to recognize it you don't need to uh i don't know never mind i'll shut up <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh i'm trying to be on. woke yeah. Uh, this is I've seen this in a lot of Facebook ads. This is Talok Mayan, a tabletop RPG with miniature terrain and dice. 
Now, this is kind of set in a, looks to be like a fantasy Aztec type time period. And I was very interested in the, um, the terrain and stuff for this. Because I thought it would work really good for um, that expansion for Frostgrave, uh, the jungle one. I thought it would look really cool. And um, apparently, I, I don't know enough about like 3D printing, and I, I think for it's yeah for like a dollar, you can get uh, the the digital map for this and all the assets to print out the terrain if you wanted to. So that's that's kind of cool because I was like looking at the different stuff because I think at like ninety bucks you get uh, some tiles and stuff like that. Like 220, like you get everything, you know, all these. It's like uh, 24 different tiles. Uh, there's 60 uh, additional jungle ground tiles, a resin portal, and, you know, all the other stuff, including a resin jaguar statuary. So, I, it, I don't know. It just looks neat. And as of this podcast, it is funded. They wanted a grand. They got uh, 2000 $527 with 47 days left to go. <clears throat> so this thing is going to happen. If that's... you just want the game, uh, it's you can get for 10 bucks a PDF. That's not bad. Oh, no. I'm sorry. You get the soft cover for 10 bucks and the PDF. So so $1,000 seems seems crazy low to me for yeah. something that's 3D printed. There's... <laughs> I, I don't want to say anything, but this is like raising a million red flags for me. This is starting – I don't know. Just something about this looks like that one, uh, the scandalous yeah. one from a couple of months ago that got canceled. It's just like the number is too low, and what are they really offering here? And I look at this, and I, I just – I'm not sure what this is, but I, I, I'm, I would stay far away from it. Well, let's see. They are stunned by Illusionist Investment Group out of Texas. And let's see what they created. Um, they got this. They, okay, their last thing was Terrain Crafter 28mm Silicone Floor Terrain Molds. It was canceled. That was in February of this year. And a Fog Machine Dice Tower. <laughs> so it looks like what these guys are doing is selling digital uh, digital files for 3D printers. It does seem more, more than like a game. That. I think that's what they're selling. Okay, like the this fog dice tower thing. Uh, the base tower was fifty bucks, and it was actually supposed to deliver this month. I wonder if it did. I'll look in the comments. Um, it doesn't say anything bad, you know, and they apparently have been updating. But I guess this whole RPG thing is their their big thing, the Talak thing. But yeah, it's mostly PDFs and um, the 3D printing files. Now they are doing, yeah. There's even some. Oh, sorry, that's 2D miniatures. Okay, but I so don't know. At the bottom of the page, there's a thing that says risks, risks and challenges. This is our second Kickstarter, and we are very open about the risks this, this could pose. Um, we've leveraged our existing distribution center, our manufacturing facilities in the U.S., and our strategic partners. We believe we're worthy of your pledge investment. We will deliver to the best of our capabilities. Because we value our reputation, we will work hard to be responsible on our commitments and delivery of the products. Okay. So 
I mean, they're they're trying to address, you know. Yeah, looks like these guys do, and these guys do subscription services: Dwarven Crate, Cthulhu Crate, Myth Horde, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. that's where you can get some terrain or yeah. adventure or whatever monthly. All right. So, well, I'm maybe. not gonna. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna fund it, but I won't say anything bad about All it right. since I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if if you want to, we won't. We won't. Uh, uh, the next thing I had was the Traveler customizable card game, which okay for one thing it's a little weird because when I it, it's tra- the Traveler CCG, that first C always stands for collectible, but no, this one is customizable. I think of a customizable card game as an LCG. But whatever, semantics. Anyway, I think we've mentioned this before. This was a Kickstarter. And apparently um, they have shipped all the stuff out to their uh, backers. And it is now starting to appear at retail. And uh, Traveler is always fascinating to me. You know, it's it's the other role-playing game that's been around 100 years, you know. I think D&D has, has less than 10 years on it. I think Traveler's been around since the early 80s, and it's a hard science fiction um, game where you can die in character creation. So, I've always enjoyed what little bit that I have um, played it, and I've always enjoyed reading the background of the overall Traveler universe. So I'm kind of interested, you know, in this. Uh, they licensed it from Mark Miller, and um, I don't know. It seems like if I ever see it on sale, I would definitely pick it up because it seems like the base game is about forty bucks, and I think that is like just for. Well, that's a box set. Um, and that's the other thing is I don't know how it plays. It's like, do I need somebody else to have it, or is it like a? Um, deck builder type game where me and three other people can sit down and all play out of this well it says two player starter set so and it's actually sold out from the manufacturer so i don't know Hmm. i don't know if i see it i'll try to pick it up and uh well i mean they even have their own subreddit which i mean i know that's easy to do (laughs) but uh yeah because they only have 11 subscribers on it you know and i know that's easy to do anybody can make their own subreddit so, yeah, I was just going to mention it since we had talked about it before. It's now available. So, moving on. Uh, Richard, have you ever heard of Revolution Games? I have. Uh, I think, so Revolution Games, um, they have a, we've talked about At Any Cost Mets, um, which is a game that's based on, I think it's called the Blind Sword System, and Revolution Games, I think, has a couple of uh, games in that system. I think Longstreet Attacks, and also uh, there's another one um, that I Stonewall think... Sword? Maybe. I think those might be the same system, um, if, if, I'm, if I'm remembering it correctly. Hmm. Okay. I've heard I'd, good I'd... things about Longstreet Attacks, though. I had never heard of uh, this particular company. I had uh, a friend ask me, like, have you ever heard of these guys? And I was like, no, I haven't. And I looked, and I'm like, wow, they have, like, a lot of stuff that I would want. Uh, so given a 916 area code, I'm going to assume they are in the U.S., which is nice. And uh, they have a lot of 
different things that I would want. They're not too expensive. I think Longstreet attacks the... Um, you could get a Ziploc edition for $50 or a boxed edition for 60 with whichever one you might want. Yeah. And I think so, uh, Thunder in the Ozarks is the, is the other game I was thinking of. It's, it's the same basic system as at any cost Mets, which Thunder in the Ozarks is Battle of Pea Ridge, which is on the Missouri border, which is another reason I'm interested in it. And this is designed by Herman Lutman. Yeah, that one. yeah, and he's done some. I'm I can't think what else he's done, but I think he's done some other games that I'm interested in as well. So, well, yeah, I've, I've heard good things about Revolution games. They're not one of the. They're not huge, but I've heard good things about them. Yeah, Goog, uh, googling him, uh, he's over at Victory Point Games. He did uh, oh, okay. Zulu Zulus on the Ramparts. Okay, that's you know over that's there. A, that's a siege game. Okay, and Duel of Eagles, Mars Latour, 1870. That sounds up my alley. If it's in 1870, and it sounds what I think it is. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I actually, um, was them I heard from recently? No, 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 that was Decision. I, I had heard from Decision Games that they'll be at Board Game Geek Con. And uh, if I would like to talk to the guy that owns them. I could talk to them. I don't know. Maybe we should try to get Her uh, Herman on the show. He sounds like a nice guy. Yeah, he I've says got he's uh, in Long Island. I've got Thunder in the Ozarks on my Amazon wish list. One of these days, I'm going to pull the trigger on that one. So, who makes that one? Is it Victory Point? That one is also Revolution Games. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So you'll see these guys in the show notes. Maybe you you're familiar with them. I swear, I thought. They were the company that published this uh, Napoleonic uh, board game I had had a few years ago, but that was I was mistaken. They do have Washington Crossing, which looks good too. The Thunder in the Ozarks isn't bad. You get a Ziploc edition for forty bucks. Yep. So anyway, I'm just gonna mention them. So speaking of like sale time, in the time between our last show and now, speaking of G little game companies. Yeah, GMT <laughs> had had a sale, and man, I screwed it all up. I, I will say in the beginning, it was like I had a really bad false start. Um, I didn't know like uh, your friend Richard actually does their back end on their website. Mitch, yeah, he's a listener. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't and know he's, that. He's, and he's also got a new P five hundred game coming out. Mitch is the designer really? of the Next War series. And there's a new game. Uh, I don't think I have it on our list here, but uh, Next War Vietnam. They just announced is their next, uh, their latest P500 title. That's cool. I'll I'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, that's neat. I didn't know he was a game designer. Too. Yeah. So what's your excuse, Rich? Why aren't you a game designer? Everybody uh, else is. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't. I guess everyone's a game designer in their head. The difference between me and Mitch is that he actually did it and published something. So, <laughs> um, I don't know. I heard somewhere, and I don't have a link for it, but someone was talking, I think maybe I saw it on Twitter, someone was saying, yeah, you should really start a YouTube series of videos on game design, and I'm sure that would be highly recommended. But Who should do it? You should do no, it? No, no, not me. Someone famous. like uh, Maybe it was Mark Kerman. I can't remember who I was looking at. That'd be cool. Yeah, I'd watch that. Yeah. But GMT did have their sale. I think it's still ongoing, isn't it? I think it's a couple more days. 
Yeah, I, I want to say it's like to the end of the month or whatever. Oh yeah, how I screwed up was um, I went to I was gonna load it. I was gonna sneakily load everything in my cart. Yeah. And and um, just log in, and I'd be good to go. All I'd have to do is once the the sale went live, I just hit refresh on my cart and I check out. Boom, done. Well, what I didn't do correctly was remember my GMT password, and I had to get it reset. So with all the stuff going on with the sale, it took about 13 hours for me to get a password reset email. Yeah, they their website got hammered pretty hard. When was that? Th- Thursday, I think? Yeah, I think Thursday yeah, is the yeah. first day of the sale. Oh, they got hammered Wednesday. pretty hard, but you know, honestly, I just I just waited till the evening and I threw some games in my cart. And I came back and looked at them and decided, do I want to take them out? Do I want to put more in? And I ended up getting five games, so I'm done buying games for a while. But <laughs> <laughs> I say that. Um, so yeah, I ended up getting I got MBT Main Battle Tank, which is something I've been looking at it for quite a while. I got a World War One game, which is something I've been wanting. 1914. There's a whole 1914 series on different fronts of World War One. I. I got the uh, Serbia Must Die game. It's uh, like the very beginning of World War One. Um, I've been on a big World War One kick with the hundredth anniversary of Armistice coming up, and I've been watching these this YouTube series. Have you guys heard of this YouTube series? It actually started a few years ago. Um, it started, I guess, uh, in 2014, and it's called The Great War Week by Week, and they've been doing this ever since. Obviously, it's going to end in a few weeks here, and I'm catching up because I'm still way back in 1915. But they've been doing on the 100th anniversary, week by week, what happened in World War One that week. And they've done a whole series of videos starting in 2014, and I guess they're probably going to end our Mistis Day in a few weeks. But I've been watching those. Um, just because I've been on a big World War One kick, and I got 1914, Serbia Must Die. Uh, I got Comancheria, which is a game I've been looking at for a long time. Uh, Iron and Oak, and then One by the Sword. So I've got games coming, and I'm not buying any more games for a while. I need to play games and stop buying them. <laughs> um, I will say the other mistake I made was I thought great... I don't read directions. I'm sorry, GMT. I'm sorry. I didn't read directions. You didn't read your rule book. No, I didn't. I did it wrong. <laughs> and I was like, um, excuse me, guys. Uh, there's a problem with the uh, Great War Commander. Oh, page. yeah. <laughs> and they're like, no, dummy. It that's specifically not a says. <laughs> Why did you not read this? Only and these like, games. Oh, yeah. man. I guess oh, man. in your defense, though, they do the, do the sale a little differently. They haven't done the sale in a couple years, I think, and they used to do it based on how many P500 titles you bought. But this time, I think they just did it, you know, any of the GMT games, anything that's not on P500, just half off, which is obviously a really good deal. It really was. It's like, yeah. And and the thing is, if you buy one, you're going to pay the shipping, you're going to pay the same thing anyway. But if you buy five, then you're saving a lot of money. Yeah, now I okay, I did the math because <laughs> because because in my order uh my friend was like, "Hey, I already did my order and I since you haven't done yours yet, check and see what would it would be to add these on." And he added 3 on top of what I ordered. 
So I'm getting a huge box. Oh yeah, that's that's yeah. definitely because you're saving on shipping that way, and you're still getting half off. Yeah. Right, and so uh, what I ordered, and I, I was telling Rich this before the show, I am the worst when it comes to like deciding on games. I for one thing, it's like, does the box art look cool? Number one. And okay, yeah, if you if you are a game designer, listen to this. I'm the guy that you're you're selling your stuff to. Does the box art look cool? Yes. Two, is it a um, an era I'm interested in? And so you know, I know you can't plan that or whatever, but you know, that's that's how I do. And so when those two things line up, um, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna get this. I should pay better attention because I don't really like operational level games or or stuff like that. And the other thing, I guess, with price, too, because I kind of threw about two things in here that I wouldn't have normally got, but they were on, they were already on sale, and then I got half off that, you know, which made it super cheap. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. The first thing I uh, ordered was 1914, Glory's End slash When Eagles Fight, which this is uh, two separate games just kind of stuck in this one box. This is Ted S. Ressier, who I not heard of apologies ted if you're listening um i'll have you on the show later ted racier i think and he's uh yeah he's old school yeah this was a charles s roberts award nominee well at least glory's end was it's the first three months of the war on the western front and uh yeah it just looked cool had a really cool art you know on it and i'm like all right i'll, I'll get this now i did kind of glance on some of the uh, some of the reviews Although, I'm clicking on them off the GMT page, so I don't really believe they would have bad reviews linked <laughs> off of it, you know. But, uh, yeah, that was the first one I got, and then I got... I also purchased one by the sword, and the main reason why was, uh, I believe it was one of the ones that was on sale. Um, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's list... It was on... It's regular price was 55 It was on sale for 30 so at half off, it was 15 And I love the 30 Years War anyway. Plus, this was volume one of the series. So I can kind of, you know, take a look at the series and see if I like it. Uh, it was designed by Ben Hull, who I don't know. So Yeah, that one's got a Vassal module too, so you, you and I can play it together. Oh, really? Yep. Cool. Yep. That's, that's even better. I guess I should pay closer attention to that too. I see it right here. On the thing, you we'll have this link in the show notes. You can take a look at it. Um, so yeah, that is a nice buying point. If um, has a vessel mod, and of course the next one I've got was Any Cost Mets 1870. I've been saying I was gonna get that forever. You can't beat half price. So yeah, I I, I was gonna grab that. So actually, and that one I've been playing for a while, and that one has a beautiful vessel module. I've played I've played that one just solitaire vassal. Um, and yeah, if you want to play that, that, that's a game that I know will play really well, play by email. So, uh, the, yeah, we will do that. Uh, the next one I got was Aquabus Men of Iron Volume 4. And it's designed by Richard H. Berg. So, you just wanted a bird game. So, you could, I did. Yeah. I, I, I wanted a bird game. <laughs> and you, yeah, uh, I'm just going to get this and toss this in here. And uh, it's Men of Iron, whatever that is, the the mechanics. I just thought it was cool because it's it's a pike and shot game. 
and uh, yeah, I, I mean, I know, I know it's like uh, the scale is like uh, 500 to 1,000 pikemen or three, 400, whatever scale that is, and it's like because it's like 46 ca- uh, cannons per counter, 125 yards per hex. It's, I mean, it's not like ASL, you know, it's not one to one. Yeah. But still, that's that's really really cool to me. Uh, it apparently does not have a uh, vassal mod, but yeah, it's got a nice looking map and stuff like that uh and i guess if i really like it i can uh pick up the rest in the series and uh the last one i got was crown of roses and i believe i only picked this one up because it was on sale yeah um this one i haven't heard of i I hadn't only the others i had heard of or even played but this one i haven't even heard of yeah uh i i like war of the roses as well and this is steven coyler C-U-Y-L-E-R, Coyier, I can't pronounce that, sorry, <laughs> Steven. Uh, and interestingly enough, this was, the regular price on this game was 80 bucks. It was on sale for 40 and then with the discount, made it 20 So, yeah, I'll, I'll take a risk with it on that, at least. Uh, it's a block game, I like block games, and um, it's War of the Roses, so, I don't know. So it does have a Vassal module, I see here, so, there you go. Uh, it might be good. If not, we can interview Steven and ask him what happened. Why was this game not good? <laughs> um, the rest of the stuff uh, was what my friend added in, and that was Conquest of Paradise 2nd Edition, the Combat Commander Tournament Battle Pack, which was on sale, I think, for like 12 bucks, which with the discount made it 6 and uh, the American Revolution Tri-Pack. That's a, that is... Yeah. That's another one I thought about getting. Just be- You know, I, I... Yeah, you did call me out with... Uh, I mentioned I didn't Brandy like... Brandywine, Guilford, and Saratoga, I believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You did call me out uh, a couple of episodes ago. Like, Adam said he doesn't like American Revolution <laughs> games. And then he went, went out and bought... The oh, Witches a witch of the game. Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I maybe I'll bring that to Board Game Geek Con and try to play it. Uh, yeah, I haven't dug that out, but yeah, this is a, this is a pretty good deal. You get all three of these in one nice GMT box. So yeah, cool. But that's what I got. Um, this is my friend I'm going with to um, Board Game Geek Con, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'll PayPal you the money." I'm like, "No, no, no, I already owe you money for Board Game Geek Con, so we'll barter." I'll give you. I'll buy you these and just take that out of uh, what I owe you. So moving on to uh, man, I wish these things were in my area. They're not really. I am going to zoom in to the map and double make and make sure. But corn mazes. Yes. So uh, tell me. Tell I went me about to corn mazes. A um, an apple orchard nearby, and they had a corn maze near to where I live in Michigan. And uh, I know, and I. Was thought I'd talk about this, but I find that there is a um, cornmazesamerica.com is a directory of corn mazes all the, all across the United States. So it's corn maze season. I don't know. Is that actually a thing? But I think um, so. I don't think they do them all year. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as a kid growing up in Iowa, I remember playing in the corn and the green corn um, was kind of a magical place so sort of creepy um sort of cool and uh (laughs) definitely itchy (laughs) 
But uh, so corn mazes are all across the United States, and this this uh, website kind of tracks all the ones across the country that you can go and do. Um, so corn mazes. Give them yeah, a try. it's it's actually interesting because uh, looking at the map of Missouri, and I I drove past two of these today on my way back from you know, the the lake, and I remember looking at one of them was actually right next to the highway, and I remember. Looking at it, thinking that would be fun, and now here we're talking about it, and sure enough, it's on the map, right. so, yeah. <laughs> See, I don't know, man. I, I've seen all these movies, and they don't <laughs> it, they don't end well. They don't. Nothing good happens in a cornfield. Nothing. Mm-hmm. There's always and, a scarecrow you know, with an axe or something. Yeah, I, I don't like it. Yeah, it, That's the weird thing is, like, my, uh, my in-laws are, like, legit farmers i mean i thought like i knew farmers until i married into this family you know i thought like you know 40 acres was a farm no 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 4,000 acres is a farm so i've actually like just fooling around with like a drone and you know whatnot gone off like into their uh, the the crop for corn and you turn around and like all you see is green yeah, you have you're like wow. I could be lost in here for days, you know, if I just went the wrong direction, you know. Uh, yeah, I I could walk for like an hour just through all this, and that's all it is. So yeah, it could be pretty creepy. But yeah, I'm, <laughs> children of the corn. I don't know. Yep, there's plenty of spiders in in uh, corn mazes too, or in in corn fields. So. I'm, there are a total of six corn mazes in the state of Mississippi, period. Just six. <laughs> Whereas Iowa has like six per square mile. Yeah. 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 So um, the next thing we had was I bought my ticket for Dice Tower Con, Florida. Wow. Did you... I. I peer pressured all of you. Yes, you did. I definitely got so, peer pressured into it. So now I've... I've booked a tattoo artist in Orlando, a very reputable guy. I saw in the back of an Easy Rider magazine. So I've got uh, appointments for all three of us to get matching neck tattoos. Excellent. So when when we go down to Dice Tower Con, we're going to go get matching tattoos. The Chance of Gaming logo. Yep. Yep. There you go. That's what it is. Yeah. So we need to decide whether we're going to get it on the side of our necks or on the back or or what's going to happen there. Ah, neck is always good, always. So bring yeah, your immunization um, records, too. So you guys are going to have to fly in, huh, into the big Orlando airport. Yep. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what my plans are yet. I actually, I talked to my wife about it and said, yeah, they're, the other two, you know, the other two are both going, so I'm going to go ahead and get a ticket, and we figured we'll just work out the details later. So I've got the ticket. I have no idea how I'm going to get there yet or who all is going to go or where I'm going to stay, but I'll be there. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I did because it it doesn't hurt to go ahead and get a ticket, especially if it might sell out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked to a friend of mine into also buying in, and my brother lives in Orlando, and I think I Google mapped it. His house is about I think it's like twenty minutes from the hotel, from from the where the con is. So I don't know. It's I guess I, it may depend. I was honestly surprised the board game geek. Con uh, rate wasn't bad. I didn't think. Okay. Um, I swear it was like four hundred bucks for like 
five days, something like that. And I, I didn't think that, you know, I'm not sure yeah, what the, how much it is, what the, how much the hotel is, but hotel it's, it's right there. I mean, it's, uh, it's a hundred yards from your room to the, to the con. Of course, that is always cool. Like, you know, where you can go crash or, or whatever, mm-hmm. or drink beer the in your cooler that you bought. Yeah. 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 Looking at the room cost, it's one twenty nine for a one bedroom suite up to four guests per room. So, yeah. Yeah, it is weird. I remember like way back in the day, you know, you get a hotel room with your friends and you would just like stack like twelve people in there. Yep. And split and split the bill. So it costs nothing to go to the convention. <laughs> anyway, speaking of costs, on to news. Um this is an article from ICV2.com, which is kind of an industry, tabletop industry uh, blog. And it's basically a pro-con table fee for uh, local stores. And I just wanted to ask you guys, have you had any experience with uh, having to pay a fee to, to play in a shop? The only time I've ever had to pay is uh, to get an actual room. So at game night, and they moved recently, I don't think they do it anymore, but they used to have a number of open tables, maybe a dozen or so. And then they also had two or three rooms that were private rooms that you could get. And the private rooms were like five bucks an hour. It was not very much at all. Um, But sometimes if the tables were full, we get a private room or we play private room just to play D&D or whatever. So that... That's the only time that I've seen charging for tables here. Yeah, I've not seen any uh, any charging for space. I've seen discussion about it um, uh, a couple years ago, a few several years ago at a uh, another store. Uh, there was kind of a, a big thing with. I guess that's like when internet sales were starting to take off, and so you had like a lot of guys buying Games Workshop stuff uh, on the internet versus uh, buying it in the store. And so the owner got really mad about that, and you know, and so he just wanted to he was he was debating on just like charging people for table space. So you know, I can kind of understand. Yeah, that. I mean, it's really, it's a tough question because sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say it would really suck, you know, to have guys that are just coming in and basically just taking up space, and they don't benefit your store at all, and they could be taking up space that people that actually buy stuff, you know, from you uh, would have. I, I've seen people complain about that too, about like I'm too I'm too intimidated to go into that store because every time I don't like those guys in there and. Every time I go in there, they're there. It's like they just live there, and they're they always have all the tables taken up, and I can never find space to play. You know, eh? I've heard that. Uh, I don't really agree with you know having to pay for space, but of course that's because I spend money in the store. I always, at least at this point in my life, I always try to give my local store a chance to whatever I want to get. I think. When we were talking about buying Saga, we found out it's only available from this one distribution company in the U.S. And my local store didn't deal with them and wasn't interested in opening an account with them. So I was like, okay, well, I gave you a shot. And the way I look at it is like, I spent enough money in here on other stuff 
that I feel okay coming in once a month or whatever and playing this game that you don't sell. I, I feel comfortable in doing that. I can, uh, you know, I guess if I was doing it like every day and taking up space, you might want to say something to me like, you know, Hey, you know, you didn't buy that here. You can't even get it here, you know, and you're, you're blocking other people from doing it. I don't know. It's, I guess you really have to just be political about it as the shop owner. It's like, cause charging for stuff is going to piss people off. Some people and make them go somewhere else. If that, if there is another place or if all else fails, they'll just go home. Yeah, so you play at home for free. But you know? but if they're not bringing you anything anyway, what are you losing? I, I that's just yeah. that's the trouble of retail nowadays is when you're competing with Amazon and even with the GMT sale and all that, you know, you you have to pay your rent for your building and everything. So you also have to offer people a reason to come to your store and buy your games, possibly at a higher price than they would be able to buy them somewhere else. But if you're offering table space, maybe that's the added value. On the other hand, if people are coming in and using your tables and not buying anything from you, now you're losing twice. So I don't know. I I don't I honestly don't know how any retail place stays in business anymore. Yeah, you know, I've always said the the best way to do it is to have another job. Yeah. To support your store. There you go. You know, have another job to support your store and uh that that seems to work pretty well. So, uh let us know what you think. Comment on this. Send us an email. Chanceofgaming at gmail.com. So, uh, the next news item we had was... <laughs> oh, okay. This is... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm... This is um, Beetle and Grimm's Platinum Edition Waterdeep Dragon Heist. I've actually seen this talked about on social media. Yeah, I was looking at... Um... You know, my, my RPG group, we switch back and forth. Sometimes I GM, sometimes the other person GMs. My term's coming up soon, and I think we're going to do Waterdeep Dragon Heist. So I picked up the book. Searching, uh, I saw this Platinum Edition, and this just cracked me up. So this is the Platinum Edition of – it's a D&D module. And, but it has, like, it has minis. It has extra maps. It has original artwork. It has handouts for the players. It has all these things. And I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. I wonder what the price on it is. Well, it's $500. Four ninety nine. Yeah. So I just – I thought this was really funny and I just – somebody out there is going to get this and they are going to enjoy it to death. But how many of these are they going to sell? At five hundred dollars a pop. I wonder. I got. I gotta say, man, if you if you came into your friendly local gaming store and said, "Hey, can you order this for me?" and they're like, "Hang on, what is this?" <laughs> you know, they look at, "Oh yeah, 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 we'll get that tomorrow." Can you pay for it ahead of time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Absolutely, somebody's gonna buy it. This will sell, but not to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I look forward to seeing this on like miniature market deal of the day in a year from now. You know, it's this the platinum edition, one hundred fifty dollars, uh, which reminds me, there is uh, that D and D board game guy something that, about giants. No, this one was it was uh, Invisible Sun. It was done by Monty Cook. Do you remember that? One? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that I, I actually about. saw that on the shelf at miniature market again. But Richard. In, 
actually kind of reminds me of this where it's an RPG, but it's, you know, it was super high end. You are dropping out. So am Richard. I? Oh no. Yeah. Don't know why. Can you hear that Roy when yeah. he drops out? Yeah. A little bit. Okay. Yeah. All right. Can you hear so me now? Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Definitely Richard's fault. Maybe it's my headset. Right. Oh, stuff <laughs> I need to. But yeah, I actually saw invisible sun on the shelf at miniature market. I had forgotten about it and I just, I saw it sitting there. So didn't buy it. The one I was um, thinking about was I think it's Assault of the Giants okay, board yeah, game. Yeah, it's it retailed for like uh, I think eighty bucks, but you, it keeps rolling up on deals of the day and stuff like that for about half off. So I'm assuming it was not as popular as people thought it would be. Yeah, I know that's one of those D and D board games. There's a whole series of them. Yeah. Now, uh, go ahead. I wanted to add on to this a little bit, and this is marginally related. Uh, when you guys did the uh, um, the Hollenspiel interview, uh, Tom talked about a, a card game called Glory to Rome uh, mm-hmm. that uh, somebody went bankrupt, lost their house over the over the Kickstarter. Right. I was right, right. I was totally not not aware of that, and I have a copy of that game. Of the card game, and so I was fault. astonished. Well, no, it's I have fault. the I have the original <laughs> version. The um, but so this this dinky little card game, I was astonished goes for more than a hundred bucks on eBay. Wow, um, really? The and the the Kickstarter version, the black box, goes for like four hundred dollars. Because it's Dad, apparently oh. such a popular game, and it's I mean it's it's entertaining, but I mean it's not. I don't know. It doesn't seem to me to be a you know, a hundred and fifty dollar card game, but I was just I was I had, I had no idea that this uh, was such a collector's item. So and I just we we brought it out and played it the other night. Um, I mentioned meant to mention that and I forgot about it. Hmm. Wow. So, where uh, Rome? That <laughs> that does remind me of a couple of things. I think one is. Um, that uh, the ASL uh, module I found in my local shop, the the Japanese one. Yeah. What's it called? Um, Rising, Rising Sun? Sun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm gonna end up tossing that on um, the Board Game Geek virtual flea market for Board Game Geek Con, and that also reminded me. Of, you should get two fifty for it. I mean, you should expect to get two fifty for it. So. Uh, yeah. I'll That's see. pretty much the going I'll, price. Yeah. And uh, the other one, well, you know, it has to be, is anybody coming to the, you know, thing? And, yeah, I don't know. It's it's different than actually having to mail it. Yeah. But, ASL uh, stuff is always interesting because the secondhand market is so big that the prices are elevated, but it's there if you want to pay the elevated prices. It's not like you have to get into a bidding war with someone because someone else will sell it. But every time I see Rising Sun go for sale, it's around 250 Okay. I I was also going to mention that isn't King and Country got tossed on their P500 or whatever? Yeah, it's they don't call it a P500, but yes, right, MMP right. just put that one up for pre-order. Yes, which is the okay. British order of battle. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely get that for sure. And of course, that won't be till what this time next year. Um, 
I don't know. Yeah, I, that's probably a good guess, assuming it makes its pre-order numbers, which I assume it will. I mean, Armies of Oblivion, probably a year in the, the making of, you know, from announcing a pre-order up until actually shipping, which I've got mine sitting on my table here and need to open it up. Hmm. All right. Uh, the next thing we had was Dreams of Tomorrow. The board game is up on Kickstarter. And I, the main reason I put this on here was because uh, they're actually kind of close to me. They're right over in Alabama. And uh, this has actually picked up some steam, though, lately. Uh, I've noticed Bebo Games and uh, a couple other people talking about this. So it looks pretty neat. Uh, it's funded as of this podcast. Uh, they wanted nine grand. They have ten grand with 17 days to go. It's very colorful. It looks really neat. And, uh, yeah, let's see the cheapest you can get in on it. It's 22 bucks plus shipping. You get the, the game with stretch goals and a HQ print and play. And so, yeah, they seem to be pretty reasonable. I don't know what how this game plays or anything. It looks nice. It looks vaguely like it tiny epic galaxies. Hmm, okay. Yeah, kind of. So, yeah, they're right over there in Huntsville, Alabama. So, you know, try to support the locals. Mm-hmm. So, uh, moving on. Fantasy Flight previews organized play for Keyforge. I'm dying for this thing to came out, uh, come out. I just want to play a game of it and just see, mm-hmm. you know, what what's it like. I'm assuming I could get in a demo at BoardGameGeekCon because FFG is going to be there. So, um, you know, I'm just, you know, I don't see this game having a big impact on magic i you know i just don't know if it's going to do anything at all yeah uh, for whatever reason this one reminds me more of uh not star wars Leash, star wars destiny maybe it's just because okay. they're both fantasy flight and i don't th- um i don't know why but for some reason i just this one kind of reminds me of that one I mean, it's it's gimmicky. You have a deck. Yeah. You cannot. You can't add to it. It just is, and you're gonna have to play decks that you've never played before. So I think that's a really cool gimmick. I do. I, I do because you you you're not downloading a list. You're you know how good a player are you? How well do you know this one deck you've got? So, mm-hmm. you know, I appreciate that. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'll just see how it goes. Uh, the next thing from our uh, close personal friend, uh, Jamie, over at Stonemire Games, posted a pretty neat article called If I Returned to Kickstarter. And I thought it, it was just bang on. I'm like, yeah, see, Jamie totally listened to me. And, yeah, he's <laughs> following that the Adam Chance Kickstarter philosophy. Just perfect. Right on there. It's, it's a great article. Um, I'll link it in the show notes that just talks about, like, you know, he one of the quotes is here, it, I'm trying to illustrate how it's difficult for me to even comprehend why I would use Kickstarter instead of his current method. And, uh, yeah, I just really appreciate, you know, just this, this honesty of it. And, you know, just like, well, yeah, you know, I've, I've got money. I've got this thing, you know, this system in place, and this is how it works. I don't need to do Kickstarter. Although, the follow-up article is pretty good, too, talking about, like, well, what would he do if he actually did it, how he would return, which, 
was weird. It reminded me of the uh, the O.J. Simpson book. <laughs> yep, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Anyway, but yeah, he gives a pretty great thing. You know, talk about the game one or two months in advance. Uh, what type it you know, it would be? It's going to retail at this much. You have the base game at this much. He would actually have the manufacturer make multiple pre-production copies to give his reviews and you know just on and on and on and it's really good like his funding goal would be 20 25 grand and yeah it's it's just really really nice and very honest and open and i i really liked it i guess yeah. because i also agree with it yeah i thought it was a good post too i've i'm sure someone has already done this i've never done a kickstarter needed to look this up but i'm sure there's money out there to uh for someone to teach people how to successfully do kickstarters and honestly this this post that that Jamie did is a great quick guide of how to do a quick starter. So, I mean, a Kickstarter. I, I think Jamie should do a Kickstarter for a book on how to do a Kickstarter. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there you go. That's, he should do that. The title is just meta. Yeah. yeah. Cause what is that? That joke you see is like, uh, the book, uh, on Amazon, how I made $50,000 easy. And the book costs $50,000. <laughs> So, you know, yeah. Anyway, uh, the next thing we had was Cigar Box Battle, which is, it should be Cigar Box Battle Mats, is happy to announce their annual holiday sale will begin November 1st and run through December 31st. Um, I'm not sold on these mats. I do appreciate them, and they, the people I know that own them love them. But I would say this, if you're actually interested or were casually interested, this is the time to buy it because it's 20% off. And, um, yeah, I was just going to mention it to you. I think still think they're a little high. And um, I don't need any of their mats because I have a ton of, you know, the whatever the mouse pad version of them are. And they seem to work well for me. And, uh, yeah, but I was just going to kind of mention it. Although, there is one catch here. It's 20% off your purchase of three mats or more. So, eh, that kind of sucks. <laughs> you know, because the, these guys I, are running $60, $80. You know, they're about, um, yeah, about 70 bucks. So, if you spend, say, $210, you can have 20% off. So... I don't know if it's if it's something you've been waiting on, something you want. You've heard us talk about the company. You can check them out and uh, yeah, just check it and see. See, I w- kind of wish they'd do some small ones. I know for like Saga, the guy I play with, Saga plays on a three by four mat, which is really odd that not a lot of companies make. Which that'd be what thirty six by forty eight. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I don't have it on here. And, like, the only... I, I appreciate a 2x2 two two mat that I can play DBA on, but the only one Cigar Box has is water, and it's $35. So, eh, no. <clears throat> Just moving on. Uh, the next thing we had was Gen Con extends the indie contract through 2023. They are staying in Indianapolis. 
and there's going to be more hotels built, um, including a $120 million publicly funded building connected by Skywalk to the Indiana Convention Center, which will house a 50,000 square foot ballroom and new meeting space. So even more geek stuff and even more hotel rooms that not only can you not get, but you couldn't afford if you could. So yeah, there you go. This is like the first year at Gen Con that I heard people kind of saying, maybe it's getting too big, but sounds like it's going to get even bigger. So, yeah, I mean, I, I went, I was completely overwhelmed. I had uh, before that there were 60,000 people there the year I went, my, the previous largest convention I'd ever been to had 6,000. So there were like mm. 10 times as many people there that I was used to. I just couldn't believe it. So, I think that was a fiftieth that you went to, right? Fiftieth, yeah, okay. yeah. And it sold it sold out last year too. So I, I think they had sixty something thousand last year too. So uh-huh. I don't know. If my friends go, I'll probably go. But I think it's going to be like twelve of us splitting a hotel room. <laughs> well, these next two items uh, are for me. And go ahead. So uh, Wired Magazine has a. I'll talk about the second one first. Uh, because I found the first one and I was looking at this at the second one. So Wired magazine says that uh, Dungeons and Dragons art, like the old artwork from the old uh, rule books, is uh, kind of getting a resurgence. And so people are kind of pursuing uh, original prints of the old, like from the Fiend Folio, the uh, AD&D version one. Um, so a lot of that artwork people are really getting uh, interested in nowadays. It's, and part of it's nostalgia, and part of it's the kind of the the resurgence and the interest in uh, role playing and Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so anyway, I thought I'd throw that out there that uh, um, there's yeah people are interested in this in this stuff now. Yeah, the, that new book came out that just came out with the the D and D artwork. Um, I've seen pictures of it. People you know putting stuff on Twitter and stuff like that. It it's amazing, and obviously. It really is good quality artwork, and then you throw back, um, you know, the nostalgia to go with it, and it's definitely something that's worth having. Having. Mm-hmm. See, I would think Stranger Things plays in a thing there. You know, it's it's that whole '80s retro vibe that's like really popular, and now D and D is really popular. And I always dig that that old artwork from the '80s. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. One of the first competitors to Magic the Gathering was Spellfire, which was put out by TSR. And it was just, all it was, was they used that old school artwork that they had. Because they had a whole vault full of it. And yeah, it just that looks hmm. awesome. Yeah. And so, uh, something else I stumbled across, and this is a, a tabletop adjacent um, the details are coming out about a new Star Wars streaming show called The Mandalorian. So uh, this apparently is going to focus around um, maybe one of the Fets. Um, and so, again, we don't know that much about it, but they're pouring a lot of money. They're looking at $10 million for each episode. Um, so Damn. We're so gonna is this going to be on the Disney app? See, and I looked for that. I could not figure that out. Um so it's okay. it's, it's going to be a streaming show. I presume it, yeah, it'll be on the Disney app, and I don't know if it'll, maybe it'll, that might be one of their flagship shows that they come up with um, yeah. when they launch that. 
Yeah, because I've heard a lot of rumor. You know, Disney obviously has their own channel, and they launched their own app to watch their TV shows. And there's still a lot of Star Wars stuff on Netflix. You know, including Clone Wars and some of the movies. Um, but mm-hmm. I've I've heard a lot of rumors that Disney's going to start pulling out of Netflix to push their own side, their own stuff. So yeah, I I believe they said Solo was the last Star Wars thing that will be on Netflix. Oh, okay. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Now, see those those bastards. They're doing something. <laughs> There's there they are. They're sneaky. They're doing something because all right, they canceled Iron Fist, and I was like, all right, you know, hey, I I understand it. I loved that show, but I understand that it wasn't for everyone. So I'm just gonna you know cry quietly in the corner and let that happen. <laughs> and then like five days later. They canceled Luke Cage. No, 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 no. That was like you know, one of the best Marvel things on there. Everybody loved Luke Cage. There's no way they looked at that and they go like, eh, this isn't popular or that we're not making money. What they're doing is they're canceling them so they can turn around and put them on their own show. They'll cancel it on Netflix and they'll have it over there on the Disney. Mm. Yep. I promise you, by this time next year... Yeah, probably by this time next week, they'll have canceled Jessica Jones. And then by the end of the year, they'll have canceled Daredevil. And uh, it'll show up on the Disney streaming service next year. Absolutely. I, I firmly believe that. I don't know. I'll probably get I, it. If I can If I can watch some uh, kick-ass Star Wars uh, TV shows, I'll probably do it. Now, see, I actually did the DC streaming service. I did. Because it's what I wanted when, like, Marvel came out with um, Marvel Unlimited, where you know it's like ten bucks, six dollars a month, or whatever, and you can read all these old comics mm-hmm. they have. I was like, eh, that's cool, but I really wish DC would do that, and so they did with this uh, DC streaming service. I kind of hate that there's not that many in the back catalog, and they're kind of curating them. But I'm really excited about the uh, the Titans TV show and the Doom Patrol one that's coming out. And uh, yeah, so I did that. But as someone who pirates uh, Star Trek Discovery, I will not touch uh, the CBS streaming service. There's no <laughs> reason to. It's too expensive. If it was like $3 a month, I would do it. Maybe. But 6 no, too much. <laughs> Way too much. There's nothing there, you know. Even if you moved all the Star Treks over there, I don't see. I own so many of them anyway. I don't know if it would be worth for me to go over there, anyway. But yeah, the Mandalorian. It's live action, yeah. and I think it, it's gonna take place like somewhere between episode three and four, maybe. I'm it, not. I'm sure. yeah. I'm not that sure that. I can't cannot remember, but yeah, it's yeah, it it looks cool, and if the price is right, I'll I'll head over there. You know, it's just going to depend on it. I kind of hate that where we are with streaming nowadays, it's getting as bad as cable. You know, where I'm having to do ten dollars here, six dollars here, three dollars here. You know, I I subscribe to like Netflix, Hulu, DC. The WWE uh, Network um, and three different anime streaming services uh, for like me and my family, you know. That's and that's it. I I really don't want to put any more else in there. I don't because 
then it's basically I have a cable bill. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> but anyway, I guess that brings us to the end of this show, and we sure did talk longer than I thought we did, but we had lots to say. That's all right. That's really good. You know, didn't have that much new stuff, but yeah, we yeah we got content. All right. And I'm go- I'm gonna take notes uh, when I'm editing this show uh, tomorrow. All the guys I said I'm gonna interview. <laughs> all these people like, oh, I don't know who this designer is. Maybe we'll interview him. We can ask him about this game that I bought. And uh, yeah, you said on page 23 here that it says I should now. Anyway, I don't know. So yes, hope you like us and drop us a line at uh, chance of gaming, all one word at gmail.com. Yeah. And Ask you, for the uh, you can send an email so you get the uh, black powder. Yeah, get a copy of uh, Black Powder too, and that would be super awesome. Or everybody gets something. I've got stickers and uh, magnets and dice bags and oh my, all that kind of stuff. And uh, we'll probably get another show in, at least one show in before Board Game Geek Con, and because uh, I think that is the second week of. Uh, November. So yeah, it'll be right before I get a board game geek con. We'll do another show, and yeah, we'll talk about that. All right. Maybe we can hang out, play a game or something. Anyway. Well, hey, we've only have two weeks to go to the election, so if you're registered to vote, make sure that you go vote. Exercise your uh, your your civic right and duty. That is true. Yeah, it's two weeks from and if, the time you hear this podcast. Two weeks. And, if anybody needs advice for who and, to vote and, for, and don't just oh. vote. Actually, look about who is running for things and figure stuff out. You know, we always tell people to go vote, but I think the uh, people should educate themselves and then vote. Yes, that's the that's the end result of your of your voting is actually pulling the lever. Yeah. Uh, the way they work here, at least in my local thing, is so weird. I, like, fill out a paper ballot, and then they scan it in, and then they file away my paper ballot. So yeah, I think that's how yeah, they do yeah. it here. That's what we do, too. Yeah. Just weird. <laughs> anyway. All right. That was episode 117. So uh, we'll see you guys next time. Good night, everyone. Good night, everybody.